In your corner, we are back. one 821 5900 Anytime to get a hold of Savannah or James, member of the crew. That is the way you do it. Uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com if you have any questions when we're not on the air or even when we are. Savannah James answers those really quickly. There's a... Um, a good, uh, a good, uh, I guess you could say, history of questions being asked on the website over the last several years. So it might already be there. You can search or ask a fresh question for yourself and get some answers uh, really quickly. And a reminder as well, Global TV, you catch In Your Corner Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. Lots to cover off today, guys, on the show, including three things you must do immediately if you've been told that your LTD payments are going to be cut off. That is in just a bit. But first week that was, as always, Savannah, brother, what do you got going on? John, well, let's start off with a question that was posted recently to uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com. This one came from Jay, and here's what Jay wrote. Can I be forced to resign after my LTD benefits are denied? They are privately paid by my company's insurance plan. Can they force me to return to work or to resign? That's the question. So first of all, nobody can force you to resign from work. And in fact, you should not resign from work. I get people asking me all the time who are on disability, Should I just give up and resign? Remember, if you are resigning from your employment, it means that you are foregoing severance. You don't want to do that. And your employer cannot fire you. If your your employer fires you, we have employment lawyers that can help you. That is a breach of your human rights. So in addition to severance, you could also potentially be entitled to human rights damages. Now, uh, you know, this individual here clearly is uh, also having issues with... um, with with uh, his LTD policy. Yeah. I had been in communication with this person. And uh, so not only is he having issues with his employer, but he's having issues with his insurance company. Again, we can help you on both fronts. If you are on disability with long-term disability or short-term disability for that matter, and you're having issues with your employer, we can help you. Don't simply try to navigate the system on your own. Remember, if you are let go from your job and you get severance, your LTD insurer may potentially be entitled to a credit right. for that amount. So, and by the way, John, I've had situations where people have contacted me. They've hired an employment lawyer, not somebody from our firm. That employment lawyer got them the severance that uh, they were supposed to get by law, not realizing that then their LTD insurer got credit for that. So the lawyer got them, let's say, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in severance, and the LTD insurer, once they found out about it, they said, "Okay, that's great. Now we're not getting." We're not going to pay you now the twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars right. in LTD payment Damn. because we're entitled to that. Keep in mind, if you are let go from your job while you're disabled, you're also entitled to potentially human rights damages, and for that, the insurance company cannot get credit. I want to go back to this particular individual. This is a situation that comes up in my practice all the time, and I have absolutely no doubts on that. You've had this situation come up several times on your own. Um, And it is obviously something that is going to be very frightening if you're in that situation. You're relying on your long-term disability benefits, and all of a sudden, even though your doctors are telling you that you aren't able to go back to work, your insurer is saying, no, sorry, your benefits are done. Mm -hmm. And then you have your employer saying, well, the insurer just told us that you're okay to go back to work, so come back or we're turfing you. I've seen that many, many times, and it's obviously a very difficult position to be in. But it is actually not that difficult to get through. What do I mean by that? If you are represented by someone who knows what they're doing, this is what I do in every single situation when this comes up. In that situation, I will immediately write to the person's employer and I'll say to them, listen, we are representing John or whoever it is. And John is still being told by his doctors that he is not able to return to work despite what the insurance company is saying. We are bringing a legal claim to challenge that. 
John wants to return to work as soon as possible, and once his doctors say that he's able to, he would love to come back. He values his job. I trust that this is satisfactory to you, and we'll update you once um, things are back on track. And almost always that is sufficient. The employer will say, okay, we understand we don't want to you know, rock the boat here, and they understand that if they do, if they you know, decide now knowing that you are saying that you continue to be disabled, if they say that we are terminating your employment, they're exposing themselves to exactly what Savan was just talking about, these human rights damages, and they don't want to do that. Any sophisticated employer is going to understand that, and 99 times out of 100, they're going to back off. And then we can just deal with the disability side of it. And once that's done, if you are ready to go back to work, okay, we can talk about it at that point in time. Uh, you got another one to talk about? As we get our last couple minutes here, we'll start on it anyway. What do you well, got I, I can definitely start on it, yep. and then we'll pick it up on the next segment. Sure. So this one came to me directly. It was sent to help at inyourcorner.ca. And here's what this person wrote. It's an email. Uh, I suffered the sub, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, subarachnoid hemorrhage three years ago. I underwent brain surgery and have suffered some after effects neurocognitively. After short term was exhausted, I went on long term disability for two years. Then they cut me off. Luckily, my employer gave me a different job that I'm more capable of, but support from long term disability would have been ideal. Getting through this past school year was very difficult with headaches and fatigue and no sick days left. I am a teacher and I followed all the doctor's orders. My doctors tried to fill out my paperwork in the best way they could. I did the return to work program but could only do a different job. I have no capacity for multitasking and have very poor short-term memory. I'll probably shut myself in the foot by forcing myself back, Mm. headaches or not, fatigue or not. It was a hard, exhausting year. Is there any hope for an appeal? We're going to, yeah, let's, let's hold on to that because there's a lot to, uh, to unpack there. We'll get to it. You want to uh, send an email long or call anytime, you know the number, 1-855-821-5900. The email address uh, from which uh, Savannah just read from, help at inyourcorner.ca is the way to go. Lots more in your corner. On the way, Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900. That is the toll-free number. Help at inyourcorner.ca to reach out. We'll get to a lot of content and some of your emails here as we continue on in the hour. But back to the email from that teacher you had, right, Savannah? Yeah, yeah. This, this lady is a teacher and she suffered uh, some kind of a, of, of a brain cognitive issue, right. uh, illness, or something that happened to her last year. Uh, sorry, a few years ago. She was on LTD for two years. She was cut off. The insurance company tried to get her back to work, so she went through a a back-to-work program. The employer was accommodating, but she's having a lot of issues. She's exhausted. She has memory issues. Mm -hmm. And what she's asking, really, at the end of the day, is there hope of an appeal, meaning an appeal of that two-year cutoff uh, from LTD. So clearly what this tells me is that she's tried in good faith to go back to work, and she's having difficulty, and she can't. Now, what I don't know at this point is how much time has elapsed. I think she said she'd been back for a year. Oh, did she say that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so if she's back for a year, usually LTD policies contain what's called a recurrence clause, which right. means that if you try to go back to work and within a certain period of time, let's say six months usually is what I see, you're unable to sustain that work. You have to go back on LTD. You can contact your insurance company and they'll put you back on claim without waiting the elimination period, which is that period of time right. you have to wait before you get payments for LTD. In this case, she may have to reapply again. Here's the thing. I'm not sure at this point, uh, because I haven't spoken to her yet, whether or not she got the okay from her doctors to go back uh, to work. Clearly, she was experiencing some major, major issues, cognitive issues. And we're not talking about a physical type of an impairment necessarily. 
Uh, we're talking about somebody who is having difficulty with really the, the absolute uh, uh, basics of what she needs to do right. to complete her job as a teacher. So, well, you know, keep in mind, yeah. she mentioned that she was in a new position. So I assume that she right. may not even be teaching anymore. It's very possible. It but clearly she's having issues. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, she said that she can't multitask. Right. I can't imagine she was in a normal teaching position if that were the case. No, that, that's that's a fair comment. Uh, but clearly she's having issues and she's asking if we can if she can appeal that decision. Uh, so, you know, what what she should be doing, I think, at this point is uh, she should actually be applying for LTD. She yeah, should try, try to go back on, on, on claim. And if the insurance company denies her claim, she should be getting in touch with, well, when we are in They're, touch with her. That's what we're going to yeah. tell her. But we would basically go back to the insurance company and give them a choice. You either put her back on claim, reinstate her, or we start a legal claim against you. I mean, this is one of those cases where a person has tried their best to go back to work, assuming she followed doctor's orders. To me, this is a clear-cut situation where the person clearly has been unable to go back to work. But but it's I, I would not put it past the insurance company to say, no, we think that you're not trying hard enough or we're not going to put you back on claim for whatever reason. We see people in those situations all the time where they've tried to go back to work after being cut off LTD or after trying a return to work program. And then the insurance company, despite the fact that the person has tried to go back and failed mm -hmm. and the doctors are confirming that they're unable to work, still rejecting their claims. Yeah. We can help you with that. <laughs> I, I think you may be giving them more credit than I am. You're <laughs> saying that you wouldn't put it past the insurance company to deny this claim? I'll go you one better. I will be absolutely shocked if they don't deny the claim. They will absolutely take the position that because she was able to go back to work for the year or eight months or however long it was, that shows that she's clearly able to do it, and they'll right. deny the claim on that basis, which is by no means the last word on the subject. There is you know, much more that we need to discover about this in order to really determine whether this is a valid claim or not. But based on the factors that Jane has laid out in her email, the difficulty that she's having multitasking, um, that you know she's having trouble in her day-to-day -day life, that suggests to me absolutely what Simone said, that this is going to be a very valid claim. There would have been, had she not waited the year, I mean, it's water under the bridge now, if it was within the three or four month time period, up to six, like you said, this couldn't have been a seamless transition, right? Uh, not necessarily. Right. That's the thing. It okay. would not have been. I mean, we often see people who are, uh, you know, back to work uh, for a few days or even a week and they can't do it. And right. it's recorded by the employer that they can't do it. You know, they're vomiting or whatever else is happening with them and they go to their doctors, it's all documented and the insurance company still rejects their claim for whatever reason. They come up with every reason you can think of right. to reject those claims. And But here, here's the bad thing, or he, here's the worst thing, really. People buy it. People think that they have no rights in those circumstances because, you know, I've shot myself in the foot as she puts it. Yeah. No, she didn't shoot herself in the foot. She did exactly what she, she was supposed to do. She tried to go back to work. Yep. You know, people are blamed for, for trying to game the system. This is a lady here who has a very tough job, had a very tough job as a teacher. She's trying her best to go back to work after suffering this hemorrhage. And if the insurance company rejects her claim, as far as I'm concerned, I would go after extra contractual damages, punitive mm -hmm. damages, if she gets rejected. I want to take a step back because there is actually a really good teaching moment in here. So one of the things Savon talked about when he was reading this email was something that's called a recurrence provision, yeah. which just simply means that if you have... Um, if your disability prevents you from continuing in a return to work before 
a certain amount of time has expired, you don't have to file a new claim. And he mentioned typically it's around six months. So, for example, you try going back to work and you're there for a month or two and you just can't do it anymore. In that scenario, you don't have to start a whole new application. Go back on you track. can just tell them that you are unable to do it. And in theory, you would go back on. Now, as Savon mentioned, there is often great difficulty doing that because the insurance company takes difficult positions. But you would be entitled to your benefits from the date that you stop working. Right. And you would argue about whether or not you know you have a valid entitlement, but that's neither here nor there. And the reason I say that, the reason that's really important is because when you start a new claim, you don't get paid right away. You don't get paid from the first day you're off work. You have to wait for what's called an elimination period. Mm -hmm. And typically that's six months. It can be a year. It can be a little less than six, but usually six months is what we see, which means for the first six months after starting any new claim, you're not getting your benefits. And that is really, really important because if you do try going back to work, once you've already been on disability and you're not able to do it, if you are beyond this recurrence period, beyond whatever they set out for, whether it's six months or two months or whatever it is, you have to start a new claim, which means that even if you have a valid claim, whether they agree with it or whether it's decided down the road through a legal claim, right. you have to wait an additional six months, whatever the elimination period is, before you get your benefits. And so the teaching moment is this. If you are on benefits and you are feeling better and your doctor says, well, you can try going back to work, great. We always encourage our clients to go back to work or try to go back to work when their doctors give them the approval to do it. But before you do that, you have to look in your policy and you have to look at the recurrence period and you have to see how long that recurrence period is. Whatever it is, whether it's two months, four months, six months, make sure you know what it is and you have that date circled on your calendar because you have to figure out whether you're able to continue doing what you're doing before that date. Gotcha. Because that's going to be probably six months worth of benefits if you decide after that that you're no longer able to cut it. So it's really important that you know what the situation is before you attempt to return to work. Three things you must do immediately if you've been uh, told that your LTD payments are going to be cut off. We'll get to that after a short break. To reach out, one 821 5900 help at inyourcorner.ca as well. Send us some emails. We'll get to those after the break as well. This is In Your Corner, Global News Radio. The number to reach out anytime, you know this by now, one 821 5900 help at inyourcorner.ca. Guys, I want to get to the topic for today before we get into some emails here. Three things you must do immediately if you've been told that your LTD payments are going to be cut off. They haven't yet, but they're going to be cut off, right? Uh, number one, call us now so we uh, can help you understand your legal rights and what to do about them because most people have no idea. That's right, and that goes without saying. I think what most people end up doing, and this is what I see quite often, is uh, people come to me when they've been cut off and I ask them, well, what, when did you know about this? Or, or I, I see the letter that was sent to them. And, you know, oftentimes you're given uh, months, uh, you know, if not longer as a heads up. Yeah. And what people do is they make two mistakes. The first mistake is they think that they can convince the adjuster not to cut them off. So, you know, you've been told that three months from now you're going to get cut off for whatever reason and you plead and beg the adjuster. The se and that doesn't work, obviously, because once they made that decision, that decision has been made. You're going to get cut off. Uh, the second thing they do is, which is uh, very similar to that same uh, uh, mistake, is they try to appeal that. Because remember, mm -hmm. when you're told that your benefits will be cut off, that comes by way of a letter. Usually, they'll call you or they'll email you or they'll write you. But even if they call you, you'll get some kind of a letter telling you you're going to get cut off for whatever reason. And the last paragraph will say, you have the option of appealing this decision. Right. 
And so people make that mistake thinking, oh, well, wait a second, I have two, three, four, five, six months to try and appeal this decision. Why engage a lawyer? Why call Sivan? Why call James? Let me try and do it by myself. And they try to do it, and it's completely understandable. And that's really what the insurance company wants you to do. Because guess what? You're going to appeal once, twice, three times. You're going to get denied all of these times. But by the, the, the final denial or whenever that time comes, you're going to be cut off. No payments are coming in. Now you're panicking. Now you're coming to us seeking, you know, seeking help. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to resolve your claim. We, you know, we can't simply uh, you know, snap our fingers and suddenly you're going to get your money. It does take us a little bit of time to actually get the claim going, uh, to go after the insurance company, to bring them to the table. It doesn't take years, but it does take us some time. So if you are told your benefits will be cut off, and you disagree with their decision, you think that it's unjust, you call us immediately, immediately. Because guess what? It's not going to cost you anything to talk to us. So if we talk to you three months before your cutoff date, we can tell you what your options are. Not going to cost you anything. Why wouldn't you do that? That way you can make a decision as to whether or not you want to beg the adjuster or go that you know route that we tell you not to go to anyway, but you know you try it, the, 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 you know, the appeal route, or you listen to us, and what are we going to tell you? We're going to tell you that if, in fact, you have a claim, if, in fact, the insurance company ought not to be cutting you off, we will start a legal claim against them. And, you know, we've had situations where um, we've had clients that were told they were going to get cut off uh, way in the future, and we resolved their claims before that cutoff date, nice. meaning there was no gap in payments. So you have to be very, very careful not to make that mistake uh, and, and, you know, to give us a call as soon as you are told you will be cut off. When Savan says that uh, there's no risk to calling, we don't just mean that there's no fee for the time that we spend on the call. There's also no expectation that if you call that you're going to retain our firm for services down the road. Not at all. It is a discussion for us to learn about your situation and for you to learn about what your options are. And if that's all you want out of it, that's perfectly fine. There's not going to be any pressure on you to do anything further if that's all you want perfectly fine. If you listen to the options and you want to take one of the options that we're involved in, then yeah, we'll go down that road. But only if that's what you want to do. If you just want want information, call us. We'll give you the information. It is free. Because sometimes, and you said, you don't just cast a wide net and take everybody. If it's not worth it, there's no claim there. You're not going to pursue well, it. We're going to waste te- your time. We're going right? to exact. We're going to tell you if we think that right. you know you have any grounds of challenging the insurance company, and any you know that comes to uh, uh, from not only the fact that James and I used to work a long time ago for insurance companies, mm-hmm. and you know we don't like people who try to use the system. We we like people who legitimately have claims and right. fighting insurance companies who are unjustly denying claims. But, you know, it also comes from, uh, I would say, self-preservation. You know, we have a reputation in the field, our firm, our lawyers. We want to make sure that we sustain that. And the way we do that is when we bring a legal claim, insurance companies pretty much know that there is legitimacy to that claim. So, you know, that goes a long way because we know the defense lawyers, we know the adjusters, we know the insurance companies, they know us. You know, that does go a long way in helping resolve these claims pretty fast. So, yeah, we will tell you. We will tell you straight out if you have a leg to stand on against the insurance company. I can tell you that I've already been told by two different counsel at different insurance companies that when they get claims from our firm, they are flagged. And that's a good thing. They are flagged in the sense that they put somebody on the case that knows what they they're doing. They got some teeth in them. That's yeah. right. 
So, yeah. you know, when you're when you're dealing with experienced lawyers, then it's going to be treated the way that it should, and it's going to be resolved in a much more timely manner. We are talking to three things you must do immediately if you've been told that your LTD payments are going to be cut off. Number two and number one are on the way. In the meantime, after we, uh, or while we go to a break, you want to reach out, one 855 help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. In Your Corner, we continue uh, to reach out inyourcorner.ca, uh, help at inyourcorner.ca for email and one 821 5900 We are talking about the uh, three things, guys, you must do immediately if you've been told that your LTD payments are going to be cut off. Number two is this, get a copy of your LTD policy so that they can review it and advise you on your rights and what you're owed. It's good to have a copy of everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Getting a copy of your LTD policy is something that you should do when you are applying. It's something that you should have, read through, familiarize yourself with so that you're conversant in it because over the course of time, at some point, your insurers, if they don't deny your claim right away, at some point, they're going to be looking to cut you off. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you understand exactly what your rights are and what the insurer and what the adjuster are allowed to do. Now, when we're talking on this show, we are talking about what are the typical policies that you find in what might be referred to as a standard LTD policy. But really... There is no standard LTD policy the same way there is a standard automobile policy. Right. In Ontario, that's legislated. So virtually every automobile policy looks identical. That's not true for long-term disability. There are principles that are almost identical from policy to policy in most cases. But there are policies that look very different or look very similar but for one what looks like small change, which really has a significant impact on what your entitlements might be. So it is really important that you have the source document. And certainly, if you're being denied or cut off, then it's absolutely vital that you have it. And you need that not just in order to challenge them, but even before that, usually the insurance company is going to start sending you signals that it's coming or suggesting that you have to do this or see this particular person. And you want to make sure that they're entitled to require you to do do whatever it is that they're asking. And the only way you can do that is with the policy. If you don't have it, request it. And if you can't get it before you have to answer a question, then you can still write to the adjuster and say, listen, point me to the provision right. in the policy that says that you're entitled to do that. I don't have a copy of it, so please scan it and email the portion of it that you say is relevant here. We'll get to the other uh, top one, guys. The three things you must do immediately if you've been told your LTD payments are going to be cut off, and that is speak with your uh, treating doctors and have them confirm that uh, they're still the opinion that you were still disabled from working. Your treating doctors. So again, that goes without saying because, of course, remember uh, to qualify for LTD, you have to be unable to do either your own occupation within the first two years or any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. And again, that's something that we want your doctors to comment on. Uh, they're not vocational experts, but they are your doctors. They are treating you. And, and when I say doctors, I also mean uh, non-MD professionals like psychologists, for example. Yeah. It's important that if you are cut off or about to be cut off, oftentimes that happens because the insurance company thinks you're able to go back uh, to work, to either your own occupation or any occupation. Your doctor's opinions are going to be central to that question. So make sure that you get those letters. Now, I'm not telling you to get those letters and then send them in as part of an appeal because, again, remember, these appeals, 
for the most part, don't work, okay? They are traps. That's what I call them. Uh, but when we speak with you, we're going to ask to see the most recent reports from your doctors who are treating you. We want to see what they say. You know, and John, sometimes people think that their doctors are saying that they can't work, but the doctors are not actually saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, they may be saying something else, that perhaps they can work, but with accommodations. Again, remember, uh, if you can work but with accommodation and your employer, of course, has an obligation at law to provide accommodation, well, you know, that's a gray zone here because then the insurance company will say, well, you can work. Uh, you may need to, you know, sit down every hour for 10 minutes. Uh, so again, very important. We're going to be asking you for the most recent medical report. So make sure your doctors are on side if you're intending on challenging the insurance company's denial. Let me get into an email before we uh, break here. This one from Leslie says, last week my husband got a call from his work that they don't want to continue paying him LTD and will be cutting him off uh, at the end of July. We've been dealing with an insurance company up until now, so I'm not sure why his employer is calling him about this. Can you help us if it's his employer that we have to deal with rather than the insurance company? So first, the answer is absolutely yes, we can help. The reason for this in almost every case is because when you have large, this is usually this usually happens with a larger employer who has enough financial clout to be able to fund the policy themselves, which means that they don't have to pay an insurance company the premiums and they agree that they will pay out the benefits as needed. But most employers have absolutely no skill or ability in. Um, assessing claims and in determining which one should right. be approved and which one shouldn't, that is usually the domain of insurance companies that issue these LTD policies. And so in these situations, what happens is the employer will say, okay, we're not going to pay a company the premiums and we'll pay out the benefits, but we're going to hire this other insurance company um, who has you know the experience at managing these claims to do that, to act as the go-between, to receive all of the medical documentation, and to provide us with their opinion as to whether or not your claim should be approved and whether or not you should continue to get benefits down the road. It's, it's called an administrative services only contract. Okay. And so you're dealing with not only your employer, but also the insurer. In practice, what typically happens is you're going to be dealing almost exclusively with the insurance company when you're applying and even when you have the benefits. And the insurance company, even though they're just giving their view, that view is almost always rubber stamped by the employer. Whatever the insurance company says in practice is almost always going to be right. accepted. In this particular case, that may or may not have happened, but in any case, someone, whether it's the insurer or the employer, has decided to cut off the benefits. The decision itself is, legally speaking, the employer's decision, even if they have hired this company to provide them with advice. The final decision is the employer's decision. So whatever has happened, whether it is on the insurer's advice or not, the employer has made the decision to cut off the benefits in this case, and that is why all of a sudden, it's the employer that's getting involved. And so can we handle that? Absolutely. This is not an uncommon situation at all. In these situations, all that we do is instead of bringing a claim against just the insurance company, we're going to name both the employer mm -hmm. and the insurance company. And, you know, what happens in some of these cases is that when we uh, end up resolving the claim or about to resolve the claim for LTD with the employer, the employer springs up another issue, which is, uh, you know, termination. Yeah. So oftentimes employers, you know, they don't want the employee back. And, you know, I, I have heard from some listeners who have been in the situation 
who went with an LTD lawyer, somebody who did not have employment experience. And what happened was that they ended up resolving the long-term disability claim with the employer. But as part of the release that they had signed, because remember, when you settle a claim and you get money, you got to sign a document called a release. And that release releases the payor, in this case, the employer, from paying anything to you or at least some stuff to you. And what happened in that case is the LTD claim was settled, but the release included language that precluded the person not only from starting a legal claim for the LTD benefits, but also for their severance entitlements. So get this, that person was uh, denied unjustly. They deserved, let's say, $30,000 in LTD uh, money. Uh, but because they were being let go or could have been let go, they would have been entitled to another 30000 Right. But they only settled for 30000 and the release that they signed precluded them from getting the money Damn. for the other 30000 the severance. So again, you want to make sure that when you're in that situation, you're dealing with an employer who is paying the LTD. Uh, you could potentially be facing also an issue, uh, an, an employment issue. So you want to make sure that you have lawyers that have really expertise and know-how both in long-term disability law as well as employment law. We'll take a short break, guys. Lots more In Your Corner is on the way after a short break. Stick around right here, Global News Radio. In Your Corner is back. one 821 5900 Help at In Your Corner. .ca. Three emails. Reminder as well. Global TV show In Your Corner happens Sunday mornings at 8.30. Uh, Nita, next email up, says my sister was on LTD for about six months before she started getting threatening calls from her new disability adjuster. That's nice. He's very unpleasant and disrespectful, not just to her, but also to her doctor. She's afraid to ask for a different adjuster because she doesn't want her payments to stop, but she doesn't know what to do about dealing with this person. It's making her very anxious and depressed. No shock there. What do you guys suggest? Well, Nina, thank you very much for contacting us on behalf of your sister. And it's a very unfortunate situation. It's actually rare for me to have people telling me that, you know, they're getting threatening calls from the adjuster. So I'm not sure if there's maybe a miscommunication or whatnot, but clearly here there is a problem because even the doctor apparently is feeling threatened. Uh, She should absolutely put it in writing that she wants a new adjuster, a new case manager. There is no reason in the world why the adjuster is being threatening or disrespectful or rude they're not allowed to do that. It's just, it's not something that's accepted in the industry. Right. And I can tell you that, uh, Nita, if, if she or, or you on her behalf, if someone wrote to the insurance company and put it in writing that this is what's happening, that it's documented, you know, if they don't switch adjusters, that's going to come and bite them in the behind later on if, if they cut her off. Uh, but, but again, there is no reason. And I mean, I'm not even talking about the fact that this is probably making her situation worse. And listen, if it doesn't resolve, we'll be happy to intervene on her behalf and contact the insurance company. But it's extremely important for her to to document this and to write the insurance company, not call, but write whoever the manager is there and ask for another adjuster. In that email, it's absolutely critical that you explain why. And in the explanation, you want to make sure that you are putting it as neutrally as you can. So it's fine to say that, you know, you felt that uh, you were that you became anxious and depressed because of it. That's how you felt. So no one can really dispute that. Be careful about describing what the adjuster did. Just say that the tone of the calls made me feel anxious and depressed. No one can dispute that. And that you felt that the adjuster was acting inappropriately okay. because the adjuster said X, Y, and Z and make sure that as best you can, you are recreating exactly what the adjuster said to you that made you feel that way. 
You want to make sure all of the behavior is documented. And this really gets back to the first principles, what we talk about on virtually every show, is that every interaction that you have with your adjuster should be documented. How do you do that if your adjuster is calling you all the time? Well, you keep a pad of paper and a pen or a pencil nearby, and any time your adjuster calls you, you say, wait a minute, I got to get my my paper and my pen. I just want to make some notes. Yeah. And you ask the adjuster to slow down. You're taking notes as you're talking yep. to them. And when you're finished, you write an email summarizing exactly what was said without editorializing, without using a bunch of adjectives, just saying, you said this, I said that, you said this, I said that. And then there's a record of it. No one can dispute it. If you send that email to them right away and they don't say, oh, no, this never happened, then it's no one's going to believe them six months down the road that they didn't because they've had this email for six months and didn't say boo about it. Uh-huh. So no one's going to buy that they take issue with the substance of that email down the road. Two more points on this. Uh, Nina mentioned that it's making her sister very anxious and depressed. I would want her doctor to document this. I, will, I would want there to be a medical record of, of the aggravation of her symptoms as a result of what the adjuster is doing. Because again, that could give rise down the road to punitive damages if there is a claim against the insurance company. And the second point here is that if the doctor himself or herself is getting threatening voicemails or emails or anything that, again, can be constituted as uh, or interpreted as rude or disrespectful, maybe the doctor uh, can actually provide something in writing that, uh, Nita, you or your sister can provide to the insurance company when you ask for another adjuster. So again, get your doctor on your side. The adjuster should have no, has no right whatsoever to treat it this way. You want to reach out, Nita, by phone. It's one 821 5900 And uh, you know the email address as well. But for you, as we get to more emails after a, a short break here, one 821 5900 It's a global TV show. Happens Sunday mornings at 8.30 in your corner. So make sure you catch that as well. Short break. We'll go back to, uh, to Donna's email after that right here on In Your Corner, Global News Radio. Number to reach out anytime, 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. As promised, Donna, your email is up next. Thank you for sending along. Donna says, my daughter was a victim of sexual assault three years ago and since then has been in and out of psychiatric treatments. She's 32 years old and works as an occupational therapist. On the advice of her psychologist, she applied for LTD and was denied. She then appealed that denial twice, was rejected both times. The last denial came last month. I'm very concerned for her well-being, and I don't know what recourse she has against the insurance company. I'm afraid that she won't get any better anytime soon and what the future holds for. Her psychologist is very frustrated by the insurance company's decision, and when I spoke with her, she, the psychologist, said that she'd be willing to speak with a lawyer about my daughter's case. Is that appropriate? Well, I, I don't think it's inappropriate. I don't think there's anything unethical about a right. lawyer speaking with a doctor in those circumstances. I don't know that it's entirely necessary. Uh, based on what Donna is telling me about her daughter, I'd be more than comfortable starting the claim. And as long as the psychologist is keeping treatment notes, that is probably sufficient for the time being. It may well be the case that down the road, it might be helpful for me to have a discussion and to get a report to help the case at that point in time, depending on what's needed. But for my purposes, I wouldn't necessarily want to talk to the psychologist right now. Uh, Certainly, I wouldn't want uh, a notation in the records about having spoken with the lawyer. It just sort of muddies the record a little bit. I don't know that there's anything wrong with that or anything bad would come of it, but I can't think of any particular reason why it would be helpful from a legal perspective at this point in time, knowing what I know and with the records being available. 
There is something else in here that I do really want to touch on, and it's, it's something we talk about every week, but I don't think we've talked about it in depth for a little while, so why not now? Donna has mentioned that her daughter has appealed the decision a couple of times, yep. and that's why she's reaching out to us. So it's worthwhile just spending a couple minutes on the appeal process here because we haven't done it. Don't do the appeals. That's, you know, right off the top, if you stop listening right now, I want to make sure you get that message. The appeal is going to be a waste of your time. So how does this come about? You get a denial letter or you get a letter saying your benefits are going to be cut off. That's obviously really bad news. You're getting this information. You're opening up this letter and it says, we're denying you or we're cutting you off. And I'm sure you have a sinking feeling in your heart. But then right at the end of the letter, you see this, there's, you know, There's hope. The beacon of hope. Right. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I can appeal. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's not so bad. And so people see that and they grab onto it because that is the first lifeline they are being thrown. But it's going to sink. It's a mirage. It is absolutely. Well, we're mixing metaphors here, but whatever. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's not going anywhere. And the reason I say that is because the appeal, it sounds very formal. It sounds like it's this formal process and it's all very fair and it's, um, you know, it's done strictly according to some law that who knows what what it means. The reality is it is an internal process that each insurance company is going to decide on what it means. But basically what it means is that that insurance company that has already denied your benefits, that has already cut off your claim, is going to then take another look at the exact same information or possibly something new and then decide whether or not they want to approve your claim or continue providing you with benefits. Guess what? Insurance companies are businesses and they're in business to make profit. That's fine. Good for them. I have no issue with that. But that is their motivation. Their motivation is to to make money for their shareholders. The only way they do that is by paying out less benefits. Mm -hmm. So they have a motivation. Their gestures are motivated. They are motivated to cut off as many people as possible, to deny as many people as possible. If they have already made the decision to do it, The only way they're going to change their mind is if they know it is absolutely in their best interest to do so, and that's almost impossible to do by appeal. The only way that's really going to happen is if they are being forced to do so with a legal claim and with the threat that if they don't do it, not only are they going to have to pay out the benefits that they should have paid in the first place, but they're at risk of being exposed for how they've acted, and they might have to pay damages on top of it. If you appeal, all you're doing is you're wasting time, and a critical thing As soon as you're given that denial letter or that letter cutting off your benefits, from the moment you get that letter, you only have two years to start a legal claim, to hire a lawyer, to start a legal claim, to challenge what they have done in court. If you don't act on that within the two years, too bad, nothing you can do about it. And it does not matter at all if you've appealed. You get that denial letter or that letter cutting you off and you decide, oh, I'm going to appeal and then I got two years after that. No. You can appeal it five times. If that five times takes two years, too bad. You're done. It does not reset the clock. One thing that I wanted to to just mention here, John, um, not on the issue of appeals. I think James covered that pretty thoroughly. I would say. Uh, The psychologist here. I have spoken to numerous psychologists and doctors, different specialties, uh, who, who are just calling me because of the show and want some guidance because they actually don't know how to deal with the insurance company. And again, to anybody out there, who is in that profession, whether you're an occupational therapist, a social worker, a psychologist, a chronic pain specialist, whatever. If you have a patient that is struggling with an LTD claim and you don't know how to deal with the insurance company to help them, we are more than happy to speak with you. Again, it will cost nothing. 
You don't even have to mention the person's name. In fact, you shouldn't mention the patient's name. Uh, just, you know, in, in the abstract, we'll be more than happy to provide advice and guidance to these medical professionals, not just to individuals struggling with LTD, but also with these people who are trying their best to help them. Let's move on to uh, Dimitri's email here to wrap up the show today. Dimitri says, my uncle was in a pretty bad accident at the cottage he was uh, renting last month up north. He was leaning against the railing on the second floor balcony and it just collapsed and he fell from high up. He broke his back and is in the hospital. Is the person that owns the cottage responsible? It's an old property and my uncle's 68 years old. We're not sure when he will be leaving the hospital, but the doctors are saying that it uh, it doesn't look good. Well, yeah, the owner of the property certainly would be the person that I would be looking to bring a legal claim against. And the hope would be that that person who owns the cottage might have homeowner's insurance that would be able to respond to that kind of a claim. If they don't, or even if they do, frankly, I would take it a step further and investigate the the balcony itself, make sure that it was done according to code. And if not, I would take a look and see uh, which jurisdiction was responsible for approving it, for inspecting it, and when that was done, and making sure that at the time it was built, it was done to code and inspected properly. If not, then you can bring in the municipality, which right. is obviously a deep pocket. And when you're bringing a claim like that, you want to make sure that it's worthwhile. It's not worth putting someone through the process of a legal claim if there isn't going to be someone at the end of the day that's capable of paying it. So this is why you look for a defendant that has deep pockets. It's not about being greedy. It's about assessing whether or not it's worthwhile going through this process at all. If there is an insurance company there, if there is a large corporation, a municipality, then sure, it's worthwhile pursuing. And again, it's important to note that, uh, you know, we handle personal injury claims, uh, serious ones uh, specifically, in addition to long-term disability. So if you or somebody you know has been injured in this kind of an incident, in a boating accident, a car accident, whatever kind of accident, and there are significant injuries, feel free to call us. Again, will cost nothing to talk to us to get the right legal information. Good stuff for today, fellas. We'll leave it there. You'll want to reach out to any time. First, you can catch uh, the TV show uh, in your corner on Global TV Sunday mornings at 8.30. The phone calls one 821 5900 And those emails you want to send yours along, simply go to help at inyourcorner.ca. Till next time, In Your Corner, here on Global News Radio.